This message by Bill Kittrell was recorded during a Sunday celebration service for Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Bill serves as a senior pastor on staff at Cornerstone Church. We're going to turn to James chapter 1. The letter of James chapter 1. We're going to look in the New Testament. If you're here and you don't have a copy of the Bible, if you'll raise your hand and leave your hand up, our ushers will bring you a copy of the Bible that is yours. You can take it home with you and you'll be able to follow along this morning. As we look carefully today in James chapter 1, we're going to read beginning in verse 12 down through the end of the chapter, but we'll focus on verses 13 through 18. Verse 12 is kind of a transitional verse. So follow along this morning as I have the privilege this morning to read God's inerrant, inspired word. This is God's word. It's a gift to us today, and we want to study it carefully and trust that the Lord will use this to encourage and build our faith for His glory. The letter of James, chapter 1, verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil. And he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Verse 16. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of His own will, He brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of His creatures. Lord, bless Your word today. Imagine for a minute with me. Imagine the Lord appears to you today and says to you, ask what I shall give you. Ask for anything and I will give it to you. 
What would you ask for? Be honest. Money. Health. A job. Spouse. Labrador retriever. In the Old Testament, we learn that this actually happened to someone. In 1 Kings, the Lord appeared to Solomon, King David's son, when the Lord made him the third king of Israel. He appeared to him. Solomon loved the Lord. In his own words, at the time the Lord made him king, he was a child. And the nation of Israel was great. And he felt his need. He knew he was dependent. And the Lord appeared to him and said to Solomon, Ask what I shall give you. What do you, what do you think Solomon asked for? Maybe good counselors to be around him, to help him, to give him advice so he could lead the nation as king. Maybe he asked for favor with the people that they would like him, or maybe he asked for gold and silver so he could buy their favor. Maybe he asked for protection from enemies. They were surrounded by enemies. You know, Solomon didn't ask for any of these things. What he asked the Lord for was wisdom. He said, Lord, the Lord appears to him, what do you want? Give me wisdom. The Lord was pleased with this. He was pleased that he didn't ask for long life. He didn't ask for riches. He didn't ask for the life of his enemies. And so he gave Solomon wisdom, and he gave him everything else he didn't ask for. So if the Lord appears to you, just be street smart and ask for wisdom. And He gave him wisdom beyond measure. There was no other king. There's never been a king that compared to him. He was wiser than all other men. People from all the nations around him would come to Israel to hear the wisdom of Solomon. The Bible says he spoke 3,000 proverbs. He spoke of trees. Say no more. Much of the wisdom literature in our Old Testament comes from this king, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, some of the wisdom psalms, and the book of Proverbs, which is the most famous wisdom literature in all the Bible, begins like this in verse 1, chapter 1, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. He wrote the Proverbs. He says in Proverbs, the Lord gives wisdom. And he says, seek wisdom, seek it like silver, search for it like hidden treasure. He says, blessed is the one who finds wisdom. The gain from wisdom is better than the gain from silver. Her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels. Nothing you desire compares with wisdom. In Ecclesiastes, he says, wisdom is better than weapons of war. This is why Solomon asked for wisdom. When he could have anything, when the Lord just 
said, write your own ticket. And he said, give me wisdom because he valued it. He placed this kind of value on wisdom. If you didn't ask for wisdom, when we imagine God appearing to you and telling you to write your own ticket, if you didn't ask for wisdom, or maybe you did ask for wisdom because you knew you were supposed to, but you really didn't want to, it's probably because you don't value wisdom like Solomon. In James chapter 1, what James is doing is he's saying you're in the midst of a trial and what you lack is wisdom. And if you ask from God, he'll give it to you. And so it may not be ringing our bells if we don't value wisdom like Solomon did, because this is how James viewed wisdom. He was intimately familiar with Solomon. Look in verse 16, he says, my beloved brothers. He's not like Paul. He's very abrupt. He's very concise. Paul would just elaborate on his affection for people. But this is an expression of affection. James is a pastor. He's writing to people he cares very deeply about. And he's telling them in the midst of their trials, their suffering, they can ask for wisdom and God will give it to them. And he believes it's the most valuable thing you could ever desire. More importantly, now what he's doing is he's going to begin to impart wisdom to them in this letter. And we're going to benefit from it this morning. Nothing you desire can compare with what we're about to study. So let's unpack these verses. He's transitioned here, okay? James will do this very abruptly. He's that kind of guy. That's that kind of author in this letter. Just, you're going along, get used to it. So in verse 12, he's talking about trials. And then in verse 13, he talks about temptations. It's a related word, but he's changed. He isn't referring now in verse 13 to an outward circumstance, to an experience. He's talking now about Inward enticement to sin. Temptation. And this is exactly the way we experience life, isn't it? We're going along, we hit a trial, and at the same time, there are dangerous temptations. We all know people who cease to walk with God in the midst of a trial. So thank God he gives us wisdom here in James. When James teaches his readers, number one, our Heavenly Father never tempts us with evil. Number two, we are tempted by our own desires. And number three, our Heavenly Father gives perfect gifts. Number one, our Heavenly Father never tempts us with evil. Verse 13, let no one say, when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. God never tempts you with evil. The blame for temptation does not lie with God. Every trial will bring temptation. James has been teaching that trials are blessings. They lead to maturity. They lead to the crown of righteousness. But everything depends on our response. 
Everything depends on how, what the Puritans used to say, how we use the trial. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. This is a command. So it's important in response to a trial, when we are tempted, that we never say, I'm being tempted by God. Yet we all know how easy this is to do. Because this was Mother's Day, and we were going to be looking at this text, and I wanted to win friends and survive the morning. I wrote to, actually, I, I really just wanted to especially serve all the women in our church today. And so I wrote to several women and asked them what their trials and temptations were. I wanted to focus on application for women in general, not just mothers, but obviously this would include mothers. And, and I received just a really profound and wise response from a, a woman, a single adult. So I asked him, what, what's your trials and what are your temptations in the midst of trials? She, she, she wrote that she knew and understood that her singleness was a gift to her. The trial was that she is constantly asked about her relational status. And may this morning accomplish one thing. May that never be the case from any of us. May we never ask constantly, are you dating anyone? Who do you like? These questions made statements to her. Singleness is only good for a season. Marriage is better than singleness. And sometimes people were even more explicit. You'll definitely be married. You are great. Or when she would say, I'm single, in answer to their question about her relational status, they'd apologize. Say, we can change the subject. You know, she knows marriage is good. She has a lot of friends who are married and see the good that come from marriage but, and sees how their life does change and all the good things that come. But she also sees that singleness is what God has for her and she wants to find the joy that God has for her and the good purposes that God has for her. The temptation is these, these comments, they come and they say, marriage is a better circumstance than being single. And these questions come from God's people. And so the temptation is, she said, she can be, begin to question God's goodness, begin to question God's sovereignty, can find it harder to trust God. She can feel like she's being tempted by God. And we all experience that. And the, the point is, this is how James' wisdom can serve us. Because it is true, we all know, and we've seen this, that our circumstances are from God. Even the hard ones. He ordains them. He rules creation 
for his good purposes. He's in control. This is, this is the biblical view of the creator and his creation, of his power, of his sovereign power. He has set his throne in the heavens and his sovereignty rules over all and he rules in the life of his people. This is how life works. It's what's behind our circumstances and our experiences. So does this mean if I'm tempted, if I quit in the midst of a trial, it's his fault? That's, that's the question we can have. If I, that's what James is addressing because he understands the original recipients of his letters would experience that because we all do. We all are tempted like this. If I listen to the wrong voice and take the easy path and fail to persevere, isn't it his fault? God put me in this situation, especially when it's God's people who are the source of the trial. Isn't it his will that I'm here? So James is giving us wisdom. Listen, here's wisdom. God cannot be tempted with evil. God is holy. Sin and evil have no opportunity with him. He isn't evil. It's impossible for him then to tempt us to sin. We, we see this theme again and again in James. It's so good and so encouraging. He wants us to know, and I'm so thankful we have God's word to remind us today again and again, God is good and God is generous he would never seek to harm us. He doesn't give us evil. He doesn't tempt us with evil. He is unmixed goodness. He himself tempts no one. All of his attitudes, all of his actions, all of his motives, all of his deeds, everything that takes place in our lives, from his hand, or for our good. He doesn't bring harm on any of his people at any time. And James wants these folks that he loves so much, knowing they're suffering, knowing they're in the midst of a trial, he wants them to just be reminded of that. God in his providence, he will, he will allow difficulties and in fact, we could, we could even say that he never gives us a good gift without a test, without at the same time providing a test. For example, when he gave Solomon wisdom, he also gave him wealth. Prosperity is a test. He gave him a reputation. He gave him fame. That was a test. It put his wisdom to the test. It would reveal if he would use his wisdom if he would trust the Lord, if he would use his wisdom for God or for himself. But these tests that God brings into our lives are never motivated by a desire to see us fail. He is all good. He's not trying to harm us. He tests us so we'll pass the test and be blessed even more. James is giving us a great gift. This is wisdom. It's wisdom that we lack in the midst of the trial. We become aware we lack this wisdom, and he's imparting it to us. Do not blame God for temptation and sin.
some other responses from different women regarding trials and temptations. You know, physical exhaustion. Being a woman in the 21st century is demanding physically. Not having children for different reasons. Having lost a child. Having a child who is not doing well. Especially on Mother's Day. All these are trials. One mother who works at home said, she gets this question. What do you do with all your time? It's a trial. That's a trial. Because it says loud and clear, you are a loser. What do you do with all your time? You just at home? Sweet gig. Another trials. All the information available today for women about what women are doing, it, it makes, it's a, it's a trial. It makes women feel inadequate. Never quite doing enough. The temptation for, across the board from the responses I got from women, the temptation is to compare. Compare themselves with other women. To compete. If they win, they're arrogant. If they lose, they despair. God brings the trial, but not the temptation. David Pallison, a counselor, psychologist, says this, Our typical sins emerge in reaction to betrayal, loss, or pain. Hammered by some evil, we discover evils operating in our own hearts. We feel resentment, anxious, desperate, overwhelmed, confused, or all of the above. Perhaps most often, both the bad and the good come out of us. A trial brings out what is most wrong. And God brings about what is most right as He meets you and works with you. That's what God is doing. So the psalm writer says, before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I keep your word. Affliction itself is not good, but God works what is very good, bringing the ignorant and wayward back home. Faith's endurance and alert dependency on the Lord is one of the Spirit's finest fruits. That's what He wants to accomplish in your life in the midst of a trial. And you bear the fruit only when you have lived through something hard. That's why all these older people in here are gold. Because they've lived through hard things. Point number two. We're tempted by our own desires. Verse 14. Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. He, he, wisdom. He gives us wisdom. Here's the blame for temptation. Not God. Our own sinful desires. And we should never blame other, other people, regardless of how stupid they are. Should never blame them. The voice of temptation to sin is the voice of our own sinful nature. We've got to learn to talk back. Don't listen to ourselves. Notice that James lists a sequence of events three times in chapter 1. We've seen already. 
verses 2 through 4, he talks about a sequence. Testing, endurance, perseverance, and maturity. Verse 12, we just read, testing, endurance, perseverance, and life. We'll call those sequences the path of life. And then here in verses 14 and 15, he gives kind of a dark parallel. We'll call it the path of death. Desire, sin, and death. So there's two paths. The path of life, the upward path, is more demanding now in the short term. It's hard. The upward path to the crown of life requires endurance and persistence. Along the way, and in the end, it brings blessing into our lives. But it's the more difficult path now. I remember an army advertisement. You may remember this. I loved it. Probably you did too. You know, you would see it, and these guys were in basic training or in some sort of training, and you could tell they were just working real hard. And then down at the bottom of the Army advertisement, it would say, pain is weakness leaving the body. (laughs) We like that. It's true. Physical exercise benefits our body. It challenges us physically. We sweat. We groan. We're out of breath. We're we're sore the next day, but it's good. Pain is weakness leaving the body. Physically, we become stronger. I remember when I went to the doctor, when I turned 40, it was like he he just had a different face on today. You know, I was getting my physical. I've been doing physicals for a while, and I went in to get my physical, and he just said, pull up a chair. Suddenly, he was explaining to me how near death was (laughs) and how important it was that I exercise. I'd always exercise here and there for fun. I just had a good time. (laughs) Not anymore. Now it's a matter of life and death. The same is true spiritually. Paul says this. Have nothing to do with silly myths. Train yourself for godliness. He says bodily training is of some value. Godliness is of value in every way. There's a a relationship. There's a comparison there. There's an analogy Wisdom reveals to us that the downward path is the easier path now. But it doesn't bring blessing. This path leads to death. Verse 14 again. Each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. And then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. Desire arises within us, our own desire, and it gives birth to sin, and sin produces death. See, we're not like God. God's nature is all goodness and holiness, but our nature is mixed. If you've been born again and been given new life, there's a war going on. 
There is a genuine, Christ-like, new birth, new nature. But we still battle sin. And what, what emerges as a desire within us proves to be a temptation to the easy path that leads to sin and death. This is wisdom. This explains why we're lured and enticed. Lord here, the Greek, it means that our desires have a power. He's using an analogy. We're lured by our desires like a fish is lured to the hook. Now, I'm a fisherman. And I try to lure fish to a hook so that I can catch them. I catch and release, so I don't kill them, but I... I want to catch them, and I don't think they enjoy it. I hide the hook with something that looks like something they desire. Maybe an imitation of an insect or an imitation of a worm. Something that excites them, stimulates them, lures them. What James is saying is that our desires are like this fly they lure us away from the path of life but they hide a hook there's a hook in there and it leads to death and how often we look at someone and say you're going down the wrong path you're going to regret this it can be worse please don't do this and then he uses this word enticed. Our desires are like strong magnets. The Greek here, is, is, it's like the, the attraction of bait for a hungry animal. Sherry and I were on, out in one evening investing in our relationship. We're married, but one, day, one night a week, we, we set it aside to invest in our relationship, we call it a date. And we were picnicking in Cade's Cove. And we had a whole picnic basket filled with things like pepperoni. And I saw a bear up in the woods. And the bear, and it is cool to see a bear. But all of a sudden, the bear starts coming down out of the woods. Hey, he's getting close. And I had Sherry taking pictures, which she initially enjoyed. But then the bear came down out of the woods and went, <sniffs> he smelled our pepperoni and he started following on the path leading to our death. It felt like right behind our car. I think we have a picture of him. He got right behind our car and I, would, I was having a great time. Sherry, not so much. We invested in our relationship, but kind of in a different way that night. <laughs> he was following us, and he kept, I'd just go a little bit, and then he'd come closer, and I'd go a little bit, and I had traffic backed up for miles, just having a great time. <laughs> That's what James is saying. Our, our desires, they entice us, like this bear's being enticed by the pepperoni. They're subtle. They make the bait that will bring death look great. They deceive us. They lure us. They entice us. 
And we think if I get that bait, it's going to mean joy. It's going to mean contentment. It's going to mean freedom. I'll be free. James says in verse 16, because he loves his original audience and God in his goodness loves us, he says to us, don't be deceived, my beloved brothers. Don't be deceived. If you find a pastor who doesn't talk to you about sin, run for your life. Believers are often deceived by their sinful desires. They give room in their lives for what kills them spiritually. Maybe it's lingering in bed in the morning instead of practicing the disciplines and cultivating habits of grace, like reading the Bible and prayer. They, they just linger in bed instead. Or maybe they're lured and enticed by their desires to skip the gathering of the church, the meetings of the church, which the Bible encourages us, don't miss these, they're good for your soul. But maybe because they're Lord enticed by their own desires. They skip these gatherings and it harms them. Maybe they abuse their liberties because they just want more. More of this thing that in excess will kill them. Maybe. Maybe these desires say, I'm tired. I make excuses. I don't feel like it today. I've had a hard week. I've got a hard day ahead. Wisdom says you can't trust this inner voice. There is within us this sinful desire, this dominating, alluring desire, this fatal weakness that will lead you away from God's best, from blessings. And, and these desires give birth to something. Verse 15, they give birth to sin. It's the child. Sin is the child of our desires. This explains why it's so difficult to live in a God-glorifying way that is best for us and brings the best to our families and to our friends. And James is a good pastor. He's down to earth. He's not going to let you not know this. He's going to make sure you get this. Just remember, it's always easier to fall away from God than to grow closer to God. And remember, if you're out of shape physically, it's that first day that kills you, doesn't it? You know, you like, you put on a little weight and you're just like, oh man, I'm going to go run two miles. And you run a hundred yards and you think, you know, maybe tomorrow. And it's spiritually, it's the same way. You know, you get out of shape. You don't read your Bible and you don't pray. And man, just, it's, it just feels like, and I just want to quote Nike. Just do it. And every trial... There is a temptation. There's something inside us that wants to go the wrong way. Every circumstance, we have a decision we have to make. Are we going to persevere? Are we going to walk with the Lord? Are we going to take the easy route and listen to another voice and go down the path of death? Wisdom says we need to learn the temptation 
comes from within. The voice is you. Here's what Chris Lungard says in his excellent book, The Enemy of Thin, very biblical. Straight talk about the power and defeat of sin. The law of sin doesn't work on us from the outside. We carry it in us. It's not a written law simply directing us by decree. It's inbred, working, compelling, urging us from the shadows of our hearts. Paul calls it sin living in me. The evil that is right there with me. The law of sin in some sense is in some sense Paul. James is a caring, affectionate path pastor, and he wants you to take the upward path. Number three, our Heavenly Father gives perfect gifts. Here's the good news. Here's the good news. Every good gift, verse 17, and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change of his own will. He gave us the greatest gift. He brought us forth by the word of truth. He regenerated us. We're born again. That we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. We need to make sure that we recognize. Verse 17 is an abrupt change again. That's the way James works. That's the way he rolls. And we need to make sure for James, this is the solution to the problem. There's a way forward that leads to life. It's about making right use. It's about making right choices in the moment of temptation and trial. It's about perseverance. We go on the path of life by, by making decisions motivated by love for God and a desire to glorify Him. By being steadfast, we progress. Our sinful heart gives rise in this moment to powerful desires that are trying to entice us and lure us away. But how, how are we going to do it? The answer is, every good thing we need comes to us from above, from God. What is this called? What are these gifts called? It's called grace. Amazing grace. Every good gift because of Christ. Every perfect gift is from above. God sent His only Son. That's the gospel. The good news is this. The good news for sinners it's, it's why James can talk about sin without us leaving this morning condemned or discouraged because he's preaching the gospel to us. There is a solution. It's the gospel. It's every good gift. It's every perfect gift. It's God's goodness again. God's generosity again. Here's the answer. Here's hope. Where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. James is repeating himself. Every good gift, every perfect gift, God is good, God's a giver. He's got just what you need. Every time. Today's Mother's Day. I went out, spent two days in the mall picking out a Mother's Day gift. Okay, maybe it wasn't two days, but it felt like two days. 
I thought I had it this year, you know? I thought I had it. I thought, perfect gift. Perfect. I brought it home. My wife, Sherry, is so much more kind than you. And me. She's the kindest person I know. Everybody knows her will say the same thing. She's very gracious. She loves every gift. And she took the gift out and looked at it and smiled and said nice things. And I thought, hey, I, I got a good gift. She's going to keep it. It's, it's good. I was really excited till I saw her packing it all back up, putting it back in the bag, taking it back. I wasn't sad or disappointed. I mean, I told the lady when I bought it, I need the receipt. This is coming back. I almost guarantee it. <laughs> the point is, his gifts are always perfect. They're just perfect, the perfect gift. And James is just celebrating his goodness. He, he introduced again, abruptly, suddenly, he says, these gifts are from above. They're coming down from the Father. So he introduces the fact we've been born again and we're his children and he's our father. He's the father of lights. That means he created the sun. He created the moon. He created the stars. But he's not like them. There's no shadows. So, you know, sometimes there's a cloud. Sometimes there's a storm and the sun gets blocked and it gets dark. Sometimes if you're trying to navigate with a star, there can be a cloud there and you, it'll disappear. You're shifting. There's variation, but he's not like that. He's greater than the creation. He never changes. His goodness never varies. We are needy. And our Heavenly Father has perfect gifts for every need. The greatest one, in conclusion, is verse 18. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. We were born again. He gave us the gift of new life, spiritual life, regeneration. We were born again. It was his will. Jesus said this, you didn't choose me. I chose you. Paul said, by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. James says, of his own will, you were born again. He's our Father, and He loves us. We are His children. You know what we need? We need new life. That's the greatest gift. It's the perfect gift for those who are dead in their sins. And this Father, in the midst of your trials and temptations, has perfect gifts for you. What He began, He will complete. There's an assurance here. There's a promise here. And I pray this morning that our faith would be built as we live out this week choosing the hard path. He'll be faithful. Amen?
Let me pray for you as the worship team comes back. We're going to return to singing, but I want to pray for just a minute. Father, thank you this morning. We're so grateful, Lord. Every man and every woman in this room needs your wisdom. And we are so thankful this morning that you've given us the Word of God. And Lord, we can, by grace, live for your glory, even in the midst of trials and temptations. I pray today that every believer would have their faith strengthened and built, their confidence in your goodness and your generosity. And I pray today, if there are people who are here with us and are not Christians, I pray they'd be born again. I pray that they would come to Christ and trust in Him alone for their salvation. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. You've been listening to a message given by Bill Kittrell during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. To find out more about Cornerstone Church of Knoxville, visit us at www.cornerstonechurchofknoxville.com or call our church office at 865-694-4356. We'd love to have you join us in our mission to treasure, grow in, and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ.